So today, this morning, marks the beginning of what we know as Passion Week, which includes uh, today, Palm Sunday, as well as Good Friday, and then Easter or Resurrection Sunday. It's hard for us to grasp, I think, the enormity of this day, Palm Sunday, simply because of the fact that we know the end of the story. Have you ever been in a group of people where somebody's going to tell a story, right? And so then you sit down and, and you already know the story, right? And everybody else is, and you're like, yeah, whatever, right? And, well, you missed that part, and, and, right? And they get done and you're like, ah, blah, 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 right? Because why? Because you've heard the story three or four times, and if it's the same person repeat, like, seriously, can't you get another story? And I've heard that one a hundred times. Let's start over. Um, and that can kind of be what it's like when we come to these holidays because we've heard the story so many times. But stop this morning and ask yourself, what would it have been like if you didn't know the end of the story? What if you had been there that day watching it actually unfold? And if you were Jewish, right? You're not Jewish, okay? You're American, you're Christian, you're Protestant, right? That's kind of far from Jewish in case you haven't noticed, right? Uh, You'll figure that out on Friday when they start doing Hebrew prayers and you're like, right? What is that? But just imagine with me, uh, let me take you there in a story. Ezra ben David woke that morning with a start. A friend of John Mark, he had heard rumors of Jesus' actions in Bethany through John's mother Mary. Something was up, and he could feel it in the air. He was torn. Should he stay here in Jerusalem or head to Bethany and see for himself? As a young man, the Two miles would be easy to cover, and it wouldn't take long. He decided to stay and finish his task for the day and go after lunch. If what they were saying about Lazarus was true, it'd be well worth the trek. If he was going to get there, he'd have to work fast. His father had a long list of items that had to be taken care of in the shop, and there would be no leaving until those were done. Going down to the shop at the corner of the market, Ezra set to work. His father had added a few things, but if he worked through lunch, he'd still have time to get to Bethany. He'd just about finished when he noticed people moving quickly past the door of the shop in a hurried manner. Stopping a close friend, he was alarmed to find out that Bethany would not be in the works today. Rather than he going that way, Bethany was coming his way. Rumor was out that someone had entered the city reporting that a crowd was approaching and that Jesus himself might be with them. Joining the fast-growing crowd, he cut past the market and headed for the East Gate with its full view of the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives, home to the town of Bethany and Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Ezra cut quickly through the gates and took his perch on some large rocks just off the road. And climbing up, At first, it wasn't clear what was happening. And then he saw. Jumping and cheering, he could hear the roar of the crowd even though they were a half mile away. But what was even more astonishing is what he saw in the center of the crowd. Was this possible? Could this actually be? He closed his eyes and shook himself and then opened them back up. Jesus, 
riding on a donkey, approaching the east gate. The shock was palpable. For over 500 years, every Jewish schoolboy had memorized those immortal words written by the great prophet Zechariah. And he repeated them in his mind as he saw the crowd approaching. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Ezra grasped. It flashed across his soul like lightning. Was he really seeing what he was seeing? Again, could, could it be possible? His head argued with his soul, but there was no denying what his eyes were seeing. The thought was so astonishing, he shook. Was he, Ezra ben David, actually alive at the very time the long-promised Messiah would announce his kingdom and the restoration of Israel? Overcome with awe and fear and joy, Ezra raced down the hill to join the crowd and disappeared into the frenzy with a full heart. Now stop and freeze that story for just a minute. Put it on pause, right? You know how to do that. You have a remote. If you were there, what would you have thought? How would you have felt? Hold that thought and now shift gears with me and do something else. Would you this morning think of one of your favorite movies? It doesn't matter which one it is. Just think of one of your favorite movies. Odds are good that if it's your favorite movie, it has some kind of plot twist to it. Right? Something of that aha kind of thing that when you first watched it, you never could have anticipated where that was going. And so as a result, it's kind of become one of your favorites. You don't mind watching it over and over again because uh, you just love uh, what they did with the twist of that movie. I pulled a list of films that are known for the, their incredible plot twists that they have in them. Let's see uh, if we can remember any of these. Okay, so we're going to go old school first, right? The year is 1973. Some of you were there. Do you remember this one? Did it come up there? Oh. There we go. The Sting. Okay. Paul Newman and Robert Redford in their heyday at the height of their powers. It's an incredible movie. Uh, it's all about a con game and it's an epic movie with a twist at the end. And if you haven't seen it, I won't do spoiler alert. I won't tell you what the end is. All right. But if you've not seen this, you should go see it. It's got fantastic music in it, Joplin music. And uh, it's just an absolutely epic era piece uh, movie with a plot twist in it. How many of you have seen that before? Yeah, look around the room. Okay, a lot of you haven't. You need to check that one out, all right? Second one, year was 1980. <laughs> okay, I had been in Seattle for one year. The Empire Strikes Back, right? Remember that one? Initially coming out, this one was panned as one of the worst ones of the Star Wars uh, series that came out. Now it's actually considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, of the Star Wars movies. Um, and the incredible twist uh, of Darth Vader revealing actually that he was Luke's father with the infamous line, no, I am your father. Remember that? 
Search your feelings. You know it's true. Okay. <laughs> I wish I had a bass voice for that. So cool, right? And do you remember, if you were there, do you remember the gasp in the audience? The literal, <gasps> like nobody had seen that coming. It was like, I remember people talked about it for weeks after. It was like, can you believe it, right? And the, and the Star Wars thing just took off after that like crazy. And people went back and back and back to that to watch it several different times because they were so, so shocked by the twist that existed in that movie. All right, next one. This one's a great one. 1994, The Shawshank Redemption. All right? Okay, we're going to talk about this one twice this morning because there's an interesting fact about this movie. But this one is a fantastic movie. It's one of the all-time greats where a money launderer gets money laundered by the very prisoners he was using to launder money. And if you've never seen it, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? But uh, incredible flip in the movie. I mean, to where you're just going, yeah! I mean, it's just one of those, and uh, it's absolutely fantastic. We'll come back to that in just a second. Here's another one, 1999. Made famous by the line, I see dead people, right? And the part of the story is that uh, the star of the movie, Bruce Willis, doesn't know he's dead till the end of the movie, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, right? Just, it, they did that so well. I mean, uh, just really, really well done. Here's another one. 2006, The Prestige, right? Now this one's kind of a morbidly sick one about vengeance and retribution and payback, all right? But... It's brilliantly done to the point where there are t- plot twists upon plot twists upon plot twists and you, you have to probably watch it a couple times just to get all of it because there's so many flips in the movie. Uh, but it's about two magicians who try to outdo, outdo each other. And as I mentioned, uh, it, is, uh, it takes human vengeance and payback to the nth degree. So uh, it's just really well done. Here's another one that's a great one. Also, well, this one, 2000. Uh, prestigious 2006. This one, 2010. The Book of Eli. Right? How many of you have seen that one? Amazing. People went, oh, I had no idea. Right? Two things. Two plot twists. Number one, he was blind. And you're like, what? He couldn't see through that whole... What? Right? And then the second thing, he was the book. Right? And you're like, oh my... You never saw that coming. Right? And then you have to go back and rewatch it again because you missed all this stuff that uh, was going on in the movie. Here's another one that's kind of become a, a cult favorite and a, a crowd following. And that's uh, Inception, right? And this one's crazy. You've got to, I mean, it's like upside down and inside out and roundabout and round and through and up and down the rabbit hole and back again. And by the time you're done, you go, well, what did I just see? Right? And then you have to watch it again to get all the little pieces. It's, it's, uh, it's really uh, it's hard to explain. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, Leonard, Leonardo DiCaprio is in it, and he does a great job. And then last but not least, drum roll, Frozen. <laughs> I knew you'd laugh. I knew first service would laugh, and they laughed just like you laughed. And you're like, what? A cartoon? You know that it is... <laughs> you know that right now... Mr. Disney over there. <laughs> Do you know that it is the most popular Disney movie, right? And as of today, right now, the best figures I can find, 
1.2 billion in sales. Think about that. 1.2 billion and going as we count. That right, Ben? You're welcome. Okay. Now the the plot twist. These are amazing, right? Hans, who's supposed to marry Anna, and then uh, he turns into a bad guy. Is just one of the twists. The other twist: Anna breaks the spell by saving Elsa. In the is the real twist because all the while it looked like Kristoff was coming to save the day. You're like, who saved what? You have to watch it now. Full disclosure: I watched it this week, so I could say I actually watched it. <laughs> I have three daughters. That song. I won't even say it because it'll be in your head all day, right? Yeah, don't stop it. It's no good. They, and I, I actually had never seen it. And Caleb goes, Dad, Dad, you got Because I asked him for a movie. Dad, Frozen. I went, are you serious? Dad, it's awesome. So Kayla and I sat down and watched Frozen together. So that was a father-daughter moment. Made it okay. All right? All right, so now just track with me for a second here. These may not be any of your favorites. And, and they might not even be the best, best plot twist. But what they do is they get us thinking, they set the stage for what we're, we're going to look at today. And as seen in our short story, uh, what they thought would happen and what actually took place were radically different things. None of these movies, I want to suggest this morning, hold a candle to what God was about to do in what I'm calling this morning the greatest plot twist ever conceived in the history of the world. Follow with me. We're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians here, chapter 2. Be up there on the screen for you. Paul is writing and he says this None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Obviously, there's an argument before that, and you can follow that on your own later today. But as is written, no, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And so Paul's pointing towards the future and saying, you know, the things that God's got planned out here are so far beyond your imagination. You know how I can say that? Because the stuff he pulled off back here, you couldn't get. And if you can't get this, how do you think you're going to get this? Right? And that's what Paul is saying. So let's look at four plot twists this morning that nobody saw coming in Jesus' life. Here's the first one. Plot twist number one. Jesus as the substitute sacrifice. This one goes back 4,000 years uh, and goes all the way back to Abraham. In Genesis 22, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, recall at this time when God's saying that, there's no Israel, there's no cities, there's no Jerusalem, there's no any of that. He's just saying, I'm going to have you go walk to some hills and carry something out for me. So they went on their journey to Mount Moriah. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and, and the wood, but where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And God would. Jesus rides up the very same mountain, Mount Moriah, to the same place 
where Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac. And in a bush, God provided a ram because God stayed Abraham's hand. And now Jesus would come riding 4,000 years later on a donkey after the prophet Zechariah coming up the same mountain and would be sacrificed on the same spot. No one saw that coming. There was only one man. Actually, there was one guy who spoke to it, but even he didn't understand. Do you remember Caiaphas? What did Caiaphas say? It would be better for one man to die for the whole nation than for the whole nation to perish. Okay? And it says in that uh, in Scripture that he spoke prophetically. Caiaphas, corrupt, dangerous, egotistical, ruthless, would broker no deals, and yet he speaks prophetically from God, which just tells you God can use about anything. And he speaks a word about this sacrifice. But certainly he didn't even understand what he said or realize its significance. But the significance is Jesus would be sacrificed instead of Israel. Plot twist number two. Jesus is the Passover lamb rather than the conquering hero. This one goes back 2,000 years to the time of Moses and the, the exodus of uh, Israel out of Egypt. And I think it's totally understandable how they miss this one. We, we go, well, how could you have missed that? But you have to think of the picture that was painted for them when they did the Passover dinner, the Seder dinner. Remember that that was just kind of a start point for all that was going to happen because they had to spread the blood on the mantle of the doors. They had to slaughter them. Then they had this rush dinner, right? Kind of like we do. We don't have time. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Where do you want to stop? Grab something, we move it. And that's what they were doing. We're out of here. And they said, remember, you had to have your clothes tucked in, in the fire and don't even just burn it all in the fire and you're out of here. And in the morning, they bolted and they left the nation. And so their whole thing was on what? Getting out. It, the meal was important because it reminded them of the covering from the Passover. But the whole thing was, hey, we're getting out of here. We're getting free. Their picture was of a Messiah. And their picture of the Messiah was of a conquering hero, such as Moses, who would lead them out. And so, when you look at that story, they were focused on who? Moses. If you read all the Old Testament, who do they talk about? Moses. Do they talk about the Passover lamb? Well, yeah, incidentally, connected to Moses. Right? If you think about it, Egypt was the most powerful military force in the world at the time of Moses. Rome was the most powerful military force in the world at the time of Jesus. And just as Moses led them out from under bondage to Egypt, so Jesus would lead them out from under bondage to Rome. It's so simple. He did it once, he'll do it twice. They did not have a picture of a worse bondage that they were suffering from. The bondage to sin. And it never really occurred to them that that was the bigger issue. Right? When you read through the New Testament, do you get the picture that most of the Jewish people walked around going, man, I have a terrible sin problem. No, what did they walk around going? Man, we are really hot. We're God's chosen. And so they overlooked. Now, the, the, all the um, procedures, all the 
you know, from the ark and the temple sacrifice and stuff um, should have alerted them that this was a bigger issue than they thought. But they were focused not on their bondage to sin, but on their bondage to Rome. And so what they were saying to God is what we often say to God is, hey, yeah, I know I've got some problems, but you know what? That's a big problem. Why don't you take care of that one? That one's really important. You can come and deal with my little stuff later. Right? And they had no idea that in God's eyes, their little stuff was bigger than the big stuff. You ever have God have a conversation with you that way? They were looking for someone, for a conquering hero. They were not looking for a suffering Savior. And thus they completely missed it. And that ties uh, also with this third one. Plot twist number three is this one. Jesus overcoming Satan by losing. That's not how we think in our NFL football world, America, right? What's the only place that matters? First, if you were in your lottery for the NCAA tournament, right? You don't care how bad it was slaughtered as long as you still win, right? It's about winning. Do second and third matter in our culture at all? Does good effort matter in our culture at all? No, it's all about pig pile and who gets first. And so uh, the idea of Jesus losing to win doesn't make any sense to anybody. But our verse today indicates that the powers that be also completely missed it, and that includes Satan. It says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And that means Herod, Pilate, Annas, Caiaphas, they all missed it. But the other one who missed it was Satan himself. And I think it's a very important point for us as believers this morning. Never think that Satan can outwit or outshrude God. Okay? And this story proves how much better God is at playing mental, spiritual chess than Satan is. You know... He thought he had it. He thought he'd won. You know, remember, he took Jesus out in the desert and he took him out there to corrupt him and he, he tried to uh, get him to um, disqualify himself. And that didn't work. And when that kind of stuff doesn't work for Satan, he always goes to fallback plan every time. What's that? Murder. Jesus says in John uh, chapter 8 that, Jesus, that Satan, two traits. Number one, he's a murderer. Number two, he's a liar. Murders his primary number one. And so if Jesus wasn't going to cooperate, then he was going to take him out. And he had it all set up. He had the people all set up. He had the stage all set up. It was all happening the way he thought it was his ultimate denouement. It was his Oedipus, his great victory over God. And it backfired on him in the worst way imaginable. At the cross, Jesus utterly and literally stripped Satan of the keys to heaven in Hades. Satan was crushed. Jesus said, it is finished. If he had known Satan what was to transpire within the next week, he would have never never led Judas to betray Jesus. He would have never led the mob to renounce Jesus. And he would have never led Pilate to crucify Jesus. For Satan, it was the ultimate win the battle, lose the war. God had out trumped him. Satan, thinking he had got in check, turned around only to find himself checkmated. 
He had never seen it coming. And it tells you how brilliant God is. Number four, plot twist number four. This one, we should be surprised there, but we're not because we take it for granted. But Jesus opening a way for the Gentiles. We don't find that surprising at all. Matter of fact, God benefits greatly from having us. Thank you very much. Right? But you have to remember, when it came to salvation, when you read the Old Testament and it's talking about salvation, salvation was uh, a Jewish thing. Salvation was of the Jews, by the Jews, and for the Jews. Not the Gentiles. Every fiber of their being told them that Messiah would rescue them from the Gentiles, not for the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the Romans. Get those dogs off our soil. Make the land holy again. That was the whole thrust of their thinking. Rescue the Gentiles? No! Kill the Gentiles! Hey, We hate them! And Jesus shocked the world. As Jesus rode up that hill to Jerusalem, He was coming to die for the sins of the world, not just the Jewish sins. And we've completely, I think, lost the shock value of that. You know, if you you catch it in the pages of the New Testament, just how utterly stunned the writers of the New Testament are that God is including the Gentiles. It's like they almost want to not put it in there and be able to think about it for a while and then write it again because, like, seriously? Like, they get the Holy Spirit too? Like, ah, okay, I guess. Right? They don't have a category for that. We sit back and we kind of evaluate. You know, we're good Americans. We're good shoppers. We pride ourselves on evaluating a good deal. And so we look at the offer of salvation and it's kind of a, you know, should I, shouldn't I, what's best for me kind of mindset. Not really realizing that there was a time when that wasn't even on the table. Wasn't even a possibility, no matter how bad I wanted it. That we, the Gentiles, are included in God's incredible work of salvation is an honor beyond any human accolade we could ever possibly imagine or receive. And I think sometimes we just forget. We become familiar, right? We should, the Gentile people of this planet, we should be the most grateful people on the face of the earth. As Paul so eloquently states in Ephesians chapter 2, remember, there's a lot of words in the New Testament. One of them is used a lot is remember. Why? Because we forget. You think of preaching, it's the silliest thing in the world. Nine times out of ten, it's reminding you of what you already know. Right? And then going, oh, that was awesome. Thank you for hitting me with that two by four. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, that be us, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about the hostility that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles and the Gentiles and the Jews. Just read a little history. Don't take long. Ferocious battle. It says He's broken down 
the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, that'd be us. And then peace to those who are near, that'd be them. Just think Israel. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now having said all that, go back to Ezra ben David. Remember the little story at the beginning of the service? How do you think he reacted to those four plot twists? Because they all had to. Well, well, we'll never really know, will we? Because he's not a real person. He's imaginary. I made him up for that story. But here's the real question for this morning. It's not how he reacted to those plot twists, but the question this morning is, do we like the plot twists? Right? You ever watch a movie where you're really enjoying the movie, and you go along, and then they do something in it, and it's the, the and you ah, no, oh, oh, man. Oh, and you're just like, are you serious? I spent my evening, I wasted my evening to watch that. Why, why did, they killed it. Oh, oh, right? And you go to work and there's a oh, stupid movie and you're grumbling and grumbling, right? Because you didn't like the plot twist. You did not like where that went. You did not like how they rolled it out and you just shut the thing off. You ever get sick and just shut the thing off? Like, you're so mad at the movie, right? And then there's other ones where you're just like, whoa, oh, whoa. Oh, man, did you know me? Wow, right? And odds are really good that you'll watch that movie over and over and over. Uh, You'll learn lines in that movie. You'll quote lines in that movie. Um, And it's just just crazy how that works. Now, if we have a bad reaction to the plot twist, that can change if some other information is added. So, for example, we talked about the Shawshank Redemption. Do you realize that when that came out in the box office, it was an absolute dud? Failed in the box office miserably. You can look it up on Wikipedia and read about it. It just absolutely went nowhere. There were a couple other movies. I should have wrote them down. I thought I remember them, and I don't. So whatever they were, they turned out way better. And, and, and Shawshank just went into the gutter until they released it for on-home DVD. I think, I don't know if it was DVD or VHS or what it was at that time, but... <coughs> And once it got into the home theater, it had a completely different effect watching it at home than it did at the theater. And it has become one of the most successful movies ever produced. But not in the theater. It happened in the homes. And now people watch it over and over. And and on TV when it says, hey, this week, Shawshank, people, oh, they write it down, right? You watch it again. You memorize lines, you the characters. It's just absolutely galvanizing. This Palm Sunday freeze the moment. See Jesus in that crowd riding up that hill. Set the picture in your mind and be utterly amazed all over again at the brilliance and excellency of God's genius.
He is something else, you know. Be stunned at his grasp and of his mapping of history. You know, if you've got time since before the foundation of the world to think things through, that's a lot of time to plan. Right? And he's done it very well. But I think even more so, be deeply moved by his servant heart, his unbelievable love. The fact that he rode willingly up that hill on a donkey for you and me. We're going to look at the second part of this trilogy uh, later this week on Good Friday and um, on Saturday, right before Easter, as we do a Seder service. Uh, Our own Phil Wagner, who comes from a Jewish background, is going to be leading through it. And we're going to see Jesus as Christ, as Messiah, in the Seder service and the Hebrew background to that. And I encourage you again, again, please just go online. We have a very good turnout for both nights now where it's really set. Uh, There's room. But if you'd go online and let us know so we don't get surprised, that would really help us. So if you've had that thought, I should, I should. Okay, this now do. Okay, go online, three of us, register. That'll really help. And then next week we'll come back to the foolishness of the gospel. Did you like the plot twist? We'll see what the world says about that next week. Let's pray. Father, it's a fantastic idea. If movies would have been made back in the day, yours would have and has captured the imagination of the world like nothing else ever has. You are consistently the number one seller of everything, books and movies, uh, but the world won't acknowledge that because, Lord, they don't like the plot twist. The question isn't so much does the world like the plot twist, but do we like the plot twist? Are we in awe of it, in awe of what you've done? Or are we just kind of ho-hum, another Sunday, Gave God my bone. I hope he's happy. Lord, we want to be people that give you great honor. And we want to be a grateful people. We know a sign of a really healthy church is gratefulness. And Lord, we seek you this Palm Sunday that uh, you would have captured our attention again in that picture of that young boy standing on the rocks watching you come up in that crowd. What that would have been like. uh, And what that set in motion. Nobody's ever really gotten over it, Lord. We pray we never do. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.